Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Well, good to see all of you here this morning. Actually, we have a pretty good crowd. I know we have a ton of people out on vacation this week, but uh, great to see all of you. Good, good group. We're in Second Peter. We began a sermon series last week, and we will pick up again in verse 1. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And as I told you last week, we're doing something that I don't think I've ever done. I know I've never done it on this scale. Maybe I did the book of Jude one time, I don't remember, but we're not using an outline. We're going verse by verse, and last week we got all the way through part of verse 1, so we practically finished it. But we did have some intro stuff, and and I'll tell you, I've asked God to just not let me get in a hurry. Sometimes I feel the pressure to get this thing finished or whatever. I I don't want to do that. that. This week as I studied, there was passages that came from other places, and I want us to look at them as well, and I just want to take my time and not feel the pressure of of feeling like, well, boy, I I just got to get this done. I will say this to you. I ask you to whisper a little prayer right now for me. I I got up at my usual 4 a.m. this morning and spent some time. I I have a list of pastors for whom I pray every Sunday morning. Because I know they're going to the pulpits just like me and they're going to be preaching the Word. And But in my time this morning of, of prayer and knowing today that I would be dealing with some issues that have to deal with spiritual warfare and things like that. And, and i got to tell you, my demonology is not nearly as well developed as a lot of people's. I mean, there are a lot of people that they see it in a lot of ways that maybe I just haven't seen it. But I can tell you this, and this is why I just ask you to whisper a prayer to God because the men prayed for me already. I had one of the men come back in the office and pray for me again. But Man, I'm just telling you, I had a visitor this morning, and not the kind you want to have. I felt something just dark in my soul. I felt something that it was discouraging, and, and, and I, I'm trying to lift my brothers up to the Lord, and I'm praying, and I, I don't want to sound weird to you or any of that, but I'm just telling you, when you rattle that old rascal's chain, he takes notice. But by God's help and grace... We're going to rattle his chain some more this morning. And he's not afraid of us, but I know who he is afraid of. And that's who I ask right now. And I ask you to just say, God, just be with him and just whisper a word to the Lord right now that Satan would just be dispelled from this place. We don't need him and we don't want him. And we spend enough time worrying with him. So, verse 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Simeon Peter, that's a Hebraic version of Simon Peter, but that's how it appears in the Greek. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, or of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because 
of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with agape, with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to use the word knowledge 13 times, so get ready to hear it a lot. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. We are at war. I I love to study history, don't claim to be an expert in any measure of the word, but I love to study history and I have seen more than one time a copy of the newspapers that hit the world one day right after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor that made the clear, concise, bone-chilling announcement that we are at war. But I want to talk a little bit about that. And, and the reason it's in context with Second Peter, he's preparing you and I for the long haul. Christ has not returned yet. They really thought that he would be back any time and thought it would be soon. You, you can tell that in the way that both he and Paul write. But it seems that that's, that's not happening. So you're going to hear him talk about a days as a thousand years and a thousand years as, as a day with the Lord and all of that. But I want you to know this book is to prepare God's children for the long haul. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. People that are on down the road. And he'll talk about some of us, we saw him and we walked with him and all of that. And he he talks about we were Jews, but you now have, because of the blood of Christ as Gentiles, you have the same standing with God that we have. It's going to get tough. And you and I have lived long enough to see it. I fear our grandchildren will live long enough to see far more. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to explain this we are at war business. 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. This is a great word on this. Paul's writing here, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We are physical, we're in the flesh, but we are not out practicing with our 9 millimeter. to get ready for spiritual warfare. We're, we're, we're not getting good with our crossbow. We're not working out at the gym, which some of us probably should be, but that's not how this battle is fought. And one of the things that I would love to say Matter of fact, I'd love to say it to people that I, I, I don't see much of anymore. Our battle is not with you. Our battle is not with you. We're not fighting people. We're, we're not going to go to one of these drag queen shows and disrupt the thing, not unless one of my grandchildren happens to be there. But we're not fighting them. We're not fighting the gay community. We're not, we're not fighting the atheists. We, we are not fighting Antifa. We are fighting ideas, ideologies. We are fighting things that have come against God and, and stand against God. We are in a war of ideas that come from the principalities and powers of darkness. And they do make themselves known in many physical ways in our 
world. But I want to just say to people, I, I think sometimes when you're preaching and you preach on an idea that maybe somebody disagrees with, they get all polemical on you and begin to think, well, you, you're fighting me. And, and, and you, you preacher Mike is just, uh, he, he's, he's after me. I'm not after anybody. I don't want to be after anybody and I don't want anybody after me. It's not the war we're fighting. He says in verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Did you see that? Divine power to destroy strongholds. This is divine power. I can't tell you how discouraging it is to me. I have a few friends that see me get over the edge sometimes about abortion, and I just can't help myself. I, I just... I hadn't got over that one, and I, I won't. I, I'll just die not having got over that. That's just how it is. We're killing innocent children, and and it, and 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 I just can't get beyond that. But sometimes I'll have friends who I guess are well-meaning, but but none I go to church with. But they'll tell me, well, you know, you can't do anything really about it. We get one vote, and that's it. And 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 it's it's. It's probably just here to stay. I, I would believe that, and I might would back away. But I want to go back and tell you, we are not fighting according to the flesh, but we are fighting with divine power. And I will tell you what the court already ruled in recent months is a miracle of that divine power. I know it's not over with yet, but I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep making war on the floor for those who can't pray for themselves because I believe we are fighting with weaponry that most people don't understand. Yeah, it's a stronghold. But he says it will destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. That, we're not fighting you. Please don't leave mad, angry. Don't get on social media and lob those uh, grenades over the wall from a safe distance. I grow weary of that. We're not fighting you. We're, just, we're fighting destroying arguments and lofty opinions. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of of God. And he says, Paul says, take every thought. Did you see that? We're talking about opinions. We're, we're talking about uh, uh, arguments. Uh, we're, we're talking about thoughts. He says, take those things captive to obey Christ. And being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience or your obedience is complete, make sure you're obedient. And then Ephesians, a very familiar passage. I'll read it and we'll move on. But Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It, it, it's, it's, it's not. We're, we shouldn't be in having it out with each other. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. If you notice, and this is undeniable, I don't care how we might all come down when it comes to demonic controls and spiritual warfare and all of that, but we can all tell once in a while when there's like a fissure between us and hell and it belches forth its evilness onto our earth. We see it. A few weeks ago, a dad took his three sons in Ohio, walked them out into his front yard and took a twenty-two rifle and executed all three of them. Little boys. He was their dad. One ran, hid in a field. He went and got him by the arm, brought him back. Stood him up with where his other two brothers were laying and shot him right in the back of the head. And when he got there, he didn't fight the police. Calm as he could be. I don't claim to understand that. But I believe that's one of those times that this wickedness from hell 
it belches forth its influence in this world. That, my friend, is evil. It's evil. And it's evil at a level that you and I can't wrap our mind around. So I want to say this, and I didn't give you that story just for, to shock you, because you read about them all the time. That one just hit me so differently. I sat on the couch with Loretta, and we watched a video of him being arrested in his arraignment in court, and I just wept. I just wept. Ah, it's, it's, it's wickedness out of just a whole another level. But we're at war. And, and, and I, Paul used the Roman soldier's uniform in Ephesians chapter 6 to teach us about war. I want to just take a moment. And again, we're in no hurry here. It, it'd be bad if we don't even make it to verse 1 today. We'd be backing up then, right? We'd be back in First Peter in a few weeks. It's okay. In World War II, we didn't want to go to war. America fought against it. We had been already in a war. It was the war to end all wars, of course, and, and it didn't. And, of course, we didn't even know to call this one World War II because we, it, until it started because we, did, we didn't know it was coming. But probably we, we should have. And we saw it all around us, but America didn't want in it. The war started in September of 1930. Nine. It started, I think, on the 1st of September of 39, ended on the 2nd of September in 1945. But the war was going on for two years before we ever fired a shot. The war had gone on around us. And, and I think like the church sometimes today, we, we don't want to, it's to, to engage in that. We, we love minding our own business. I, I, I got a trophy for that. And we like to just stay out of that, and we don't want to make a bunch of enemies, and we don't like to be hated, we like to be liked, and all of that. But I can tell you, there is a war going on around us. And just like in 1941, when we didn't want in the war, the war came to us. And I will tell you, church, the war is coming to us. We can sit around and say that, well, it's just, you know, people are that way, or this is just, you know, how things are, and we just need to mind our own business and stay out of politics or whatever, and I'm fine with all of that. I, I really have. I, I, I post very little anymore that has anything to do with politics. Uh, you, you can laugh. I thought I was making a difference. Go ahead. You can just horse laugh. I, I, I can just tell you, I, I realize that, that it just it doesn't work. But, but I want to tell you, I, I haven't given up on spiritual warfare because I realize it's not these people that, that I need to stand up against. There's a greater power behind all of this. And I will tell you, we can try to stay out of it all we want. But as long as this church preaches the truth and stands on the truth, I'm going to tell you, the war will come to us. Maybe through the school system with our children, but these icky issues. Oh, I don't even want to talk about drag queens and, and LGBTQ, whatever. I don't even deal with that, preacher. I just, oh, it's just yucky. Just, just, oh, I don't, I don't want to hear any more about it. I see too much of it on the news. I quit watching the news, blah, blah, blah. I hear all of that. I can tell you we can ignore it, but it'll be to our peril. There are a lot of ideas and thoughts and attitudes and opinions out there that you and I are going to have to face. Some other lessons we learned in World War II, there are some bad guys out there. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but 60 million people died in World War II. There's never been a war like it. 27,000 people died every day. Every day on average from 39 to 45. 27,000. And this is interesting. It was the Axis powers. Germany and Italy and Japan, they killed 80% of everybody that died. And they lost the war. 
They kill more people. And the vast majority of the people they kill were not soldiers. They were civilians. But they killed far more people. 80% of the ones that died, they killed, and yet they lost the war. I, I, I want to tell you where I'm going with this, and I'll wrap it up. We learned something in that, though. We learned something in World War II, and I, I fear we've forgotten it because we've acted like since then. We haven't uh, remembered it. The war was pretty much, you couldn't tell it then, but in 1941, the war was pretty much over for both Japan and Germany. And the reason is they declared war on an enemy that they could not reach. In war, the only way to win wars, and you ought to, don't take my word for this, just read some great war scholars and historians like Victor Davis Hanson and people like that. In war, to end a war, you have to stop the enemy's ability to make war. If you stop short of that, I don't care. If you pull out for political reasons or whatever. That's why we had to go to two cities. We had to go to Berlin and we had to go to Tokyo. And when we went to those two places, we put an end to the war. And it was the only way that we could possibly do it. Germany declared war on us right after. As a matter of fact, five days after Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, Adolf Hitler declared war on the United States of America. And even some of his officials says, great, how are we going to get there? He did not have one aircraft carrier. He never did have an aircraft carrier. He had tons of submarines. He had big battleships and things like that. Japan was in the same boat. They declared war on an enemy, but they hit us at Pearl Harbor. They could not come here. They had no way of getting here. Oh, I know. They did fight in the Aleutian Islands up near Alaska a little bit. The only person that ever died in World War II on the ground of the continental United States was a pregnant lady who happened to cross a bomb that had been dropped previously from a balloon by the Japanese. But other than getting a balloon here, that was the best they could do. But we went to them and we ended their ability to make war. Now, I'm not going to get into all of it, but you just think about all the wars since then that we didn't do that. And are those wars over? No. Here's the good news. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. God gives us a promise. I don't know how many times I've read it this morning. And I love it. I love it. Revelation 20, verse 10, he hits the homeland. He hits the homeland. He says, and the devil, well, I know who that is, who had deceived them. You ever been deceived by him? If you've lived as a Christian more than about two minutes, you have. If you're lost, then congratulations, you really have. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur or brimstone where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. That's when you hit the war machine. That's when you destroy every... His ability to make war. And oh, I know, in 1941, nobody declared that the war was over. There were a lot of people die, lots of shooting, lots of killing. But I can tell you, for the most part, when they declared war on America, it was pretty much over because they could not. That he could wreak havoc, Hitler could, in Europe, Japan, and the Asian theater. They had decimated China. They were big and bad on their city block, but they could not. Take us on because they could not stop our ability to make war with them. God stopped the ability, will stop the ability of Satan to make war with us. And even though the battle rages on, we can fight him every day of our life knowing 
that the day is coming when he will be no more. Man. My grandma used to talk to the devil. Now, don't think she's weird. Jesus talked to him too. She'd tell him, get behind me, devil. She usually was looking at me or my brother when she said that, though. But And then she'd cut a hickory, and me and my brother and the devil all got out of there. I can tell you, sometimes I just want to say, Satan, leave me alone. That darkness in my soul that you attack me with, leave me alone. I, I can just tell you, I, I have a couple of weak points that he knows all about. He knows how to hit me there. I mean, he knows how to bring me down. He knows how to wake me up in the middle of the night afraid and scared and panicking and all of that and not even figuring out what's going on. It's a condition that I have fought almost or all of my life. And, and because of events that happened when I was a child, the fear of abandonment and all of that just plagues me. And he knows that. And that sorry rascal will just grind him in to me every chance that he gets but if he's listening today and I hope he is buddy your days are numbered Peter is prepping us for the long haul friend last week we looked at verse 1 part of it he says you have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours And we were about to deal with this last week. We just mentioned it. How did we do that? How did we as Gentiles obtain a standing with God that the Jews had, the apostles had, that Paul had, that Peter had? How in the world did we get there? Well, it wasn't by our doing. But here it is again, a truth that it just is all through the New Testament. It was by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. That is a relentless truth that runs throughout the New Testament. So don't ask me why do I talk so much about grace righteousness. Just read the book. It's all through there. How did we do that? We were dead. Paul says we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And in the class this morning that I'm teaching for the new members, I talked about if you have a person who is dead, what if you had a pill that you could give them, and if they would take it with a sip of water and swallow it, they could come back to life. It would do them no good. They can't sip, they can't swallow, and they don't even know you're there. Because they're dead. That's why when you and I accepted Christ, it wasn't like we had anything to do with it. We were a spiritual corpse and God had to give us the ability to believe in Him. Because we weren't just sick, we weren't just bad off, we weren't in heart failure, we didn't have a stroke, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses. And sin. And, and not only that, not only do we have a faith in equal standing with the Jews and disciples, but I, I love this. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus' brothers and sisters had showed up because they thought he needs a straitjacket. They thought he was crazy. And in Mark 3.34, Jesus says, and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother." And my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, I think that was probably lost on them, but don't let it be lost on us. That's the intimacy that we have with the creator of the universe. He calls us his brothers and his sisters and his mother. We have a relationship with the creator of the universe. That's even better than gaining the standing of Peter. I'm, the, I'm a brother with Jesus Christ. John 20, 28, Jesus has arisen from the dead. Thomas is 
spouted off about I won't believe it until I can touch the holes in his hands, the nail prints and all that. Thomas answered him and said when he saw him, does it say he ever tried to reach out and touch or see anything? He saw him. And when all he did was see him, he said, my Lord and my God. But listen to what Jesus said to him. I would have expected a high five. You got it, man. It's what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Is that what did it? I mean, I told you I was coming back. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. (laughs) We're blessed. We haven't seen him, not like Thomas did, but we believe in him. Peter is trying to help us here, friend. He is trying to encourage us. Get ready for the long haul because even though you have not seen him, he is just as real in your life as he was in ours when we walked with him on this earth. Man, an awesome word. Verse 2. Boy, we are flying. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our uh, and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. Two things we need every day of our life. And the way we get them, it's a direct result of knowing Jesus. Grace and peace. And when you live a life of grace and you have peace in your heart, people may ask you, well, how can you forgive insults from people that, that hate you? Or, or how can you, you deal with lies that may be told about you that aren't True, how in the world can you have peace in when you walk through such a storm? I've seen some of you. I was there when we buried your child or your grandchild. And even though it was tough, you stood in the Lord. Some of you lost spouses as well. Loved ones, how in the world did you do it? I know how you did it. It was through your relationship with Christ that He gave you grace and He gave you peace. And even though it was still hard, you could not have done it without the grace and the peace of God. Just can't do it. He uses this word knowledge 13 times. It comes up again. And I know that the word he is talking about is more of an intimate knowledge, knowing Christ. And you remember the word for sexual intercourse in the Old Testament was no. Adam knew Eve and she had a baby. So in the word knowledge in the Bible, it's more than like the knowledge we talk about. It's a Hebraism in the Old Testament, but it, there's a vulnerability to it. There is a submission uh, in, in with this word knowledge. It's the intimacy there. When you know Him like God wants us to know Him. The Gnostics talked about there's some special knowledge, but that wasn't true. Christians can have a full knowledge of God. And that doesn't mean we understand everything about Him. But man, I can tell you right now, God knows me better than I know my wife. He knows me better than she knows me. I, I say and I understand women is probably not a good illustration but she understands me better than 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 I mean God understands me better than she does and we have a intimate knowledge of each other man we can finish each other's sentences and and boy she can look at me from a mile away and tell when something's on my mind or heart she knows when I'm happy she knows when I'm sad she knows when I worry she knows about all of those things in my life that's the kind of intimacy that God wants to have with us but I would also say this don't neglect the intellect. I made that up myself. Don't, don't just stop on the surface. Dig deeper. Learn, we talked about already, there's things like grace righteousness, for example. How is it that we are declared 
100% righteous. I know. Here we go again. How does that happen? He gives us His righteousness as a gift of grace. It is not about you. So are we declared 100% righteous right now, right here where we sit? Have we already been reconciled to God? Absolutely. And it has nothing to do with anything that we have done or deserved. It is all by the grace of God. I I promise you probably 80% of people in churches this morning have no clue how any of that is taught in the New Testament. I hadn't been to a church yet. Now, I'm not saying I've been to a ton, but I've been to my share. I've not been to a church yet that got it. When I say, how many here are 100% righteous before God? No, Lord, no. Had one man, he just said it out loud. There's none righteous. No, not one. Try to fix that in front of about 400 people totally misunderstanding it don't don't stay shallow all your christian walk this business of being called and elected by god it's not about who's not going to get to go it's about those who were chosen if you are a born-again christian the good news in all of that is you were chosen before the world was created you're not going to lose it You're not going to do anything to get rid of it. You didn't do anything to get it. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Your name is written in the annals of heaven. And and I can tell you right now, that name will never be removed. Those are things that we need to learn about. Just one quick thought. i got to do this. These are days that I wish Tim Wagner was here because he just smiles from ear to ear. And, and back in verse 1, let's, let's go back to that. Maybe we can put it on the screen. By the righteousness, let's read it. Just follow, me, follow along with me. By the righteousness of God our Savior and Jesus Christ. Now that in the English just looks pretty well normal. But in the Greek, there's something called Granville Sharp's rule. Granville Sharp was a guy who lived in the 1700s, died in the 1800s. He was a linguistic genius. And what he discovered in the Greek language was, if you have nouns that are in the same case, okay, now the rest of this is English, so don't say, oh, he's preaching that old Greek mess. No, you just should have paid attention in high school, okay? But if you have a group of nouns in the same case and they're joined by the word and in the Greek, that's chi. And they start out with a form of the word the. Here it's hos in the Greek. But if that the does not come before the other words after the chi, then it means all of those nouns are the same thing. So when he says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he is saying without a doubt that our God is Jesus Christ. We have two verses like that. Titus 2.13. Granville Sharp's rule again. I know you're like, man, I can't wait to get home and call everybody. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the English, sort of makes sense to you. It would be like saying, I met the owner and founder of the organization. He says the same person. And in the Greek, this is, and boy, I love this because you got to remember, There's so many liberal scholars who say that Jesus being God was never something that the people around him believed. What? They crucified him because he said that. You don't get crucified for feeding hungry people and raising the dead. You get crucified by the Jews because you claim that you are God. And they yell things at you while you're on the cross that if you saved yourself, saved others, you ought to be able to save yourself. If you're really who 
you say you are, you ought to be able to get down from that cross any time. Jesus, he openly declared who he was. But there are liberal scholars today who say, no, that was all an afterthought. And the church invented it later on and, and read it back into the New Testament. That is a lie from hell. What I really like about verses like these two is it's not like, hey, now Jesus is God. Don't y'all forget that. No, it's more subtle than that, isn't it? It is like we never doubted it. Oh, they may have at one time. But I can tell you something. Man, it is a powerful, powerful truth. Well, verse 3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. This will be our last verse today. We may not get through it, but look at it. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We already have them. He's already given those us everything we need to live a life of godliness. It's, it's sort of like when you grow physically. You know, when you have a baby, they have legs. If they're a healthy child, they have legs. They just don't know how to use them. Hit you in the face with them. Don't know how to use them. The day they walk, you don't go in the bedroom that morning and go, Hey, honey, guess what? Billy Bob grew two legs last night. I guess he's ready to start walking. (laughs) No, we already have those things. God is bankrolling this whole process here for us. He said, I have already given you all the things that you need. I have granted those things to you that pertain to life and godliness. You already have them. So we can't make excuses, friend. If we're living a far distance from where we know we should be. I I think a lot of Christians, and you you see this, I think a lot of times people act like that the rapture is going to finish saving us. Have you ever met a Christian that somebody claimed to be Christian, born again, all of that? I'm not trying to say I doubt that. But I'm just telling you, they're very racist. They use the N-word. They tell nasty jokes. They whistle at girls that aren't their wife and all of that kind of just do crazy stuff. And, 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 and they act like, <laughs> and I remember one time I had a friend of mine, loved the man to death, but he didn't believe in going to church with black people. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I don't think I, I, ought, I said I ought to be that way. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, you're going to go to heaven with them. You know what he said? He said, but it'll be different up there. That's a man that's planning on finish getting, finish getting his salvation at the rapture. I'm racist down here, but somehow or another, when I get to heaven, I'll quit being. That's not true. Why are you racist now if God's already transformed and changed your life? Why are you talking that nasty, filthy trash? Why are you acting like an idiot? Why do you have that arrogant attitude? Where in the world does all that come from? I didn't say that he ought to be perfect, but I am telling you, there are a lot of people that I think they believe that God's going to run them by the car wash before he takes them to heaven. He said, no, I've already given you. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Man. And notice that pertains to life and godliness. When these people say that, hey, you know, Jesus said to us that whatever we ask in his name, he'll do it. If it pertains to life and godliness. Maybe me having my own private jet, like what would I do with it? That might not pertain to life and godliness. Maybe him giving me a, I always say Cadillac, but that, see, that's old, right? Cadillacs used to be expensive. Now they're a piece of junk, most of them. But a Lamborghini, I don't know if that would make me more spiritual or not. If it would, boy, that'd be great because I'd love for God to give me one. But I don't know that that'll pertain to life and godliness. 
I'll tell you what he did do this week, though. I prayed really hard, poured out my heart, and I said, God, I have no reason to believe otherwise. But when this blood work comes back, that's going to determine whether or not I have cancer cells in my body or not. Lord, would you please, if it's your will, if it's your will, would you let that blood work come back clean? And that blood work came back clean. And I'm going to tell you, you can't get that in a Lamborghini. Now, I got enough sense to know, look, I've been around the sun 63 times. I'm well traveled. One of these days, something's not going to come back clean. He's going to call me home. I got that. But I can tell you, when it pertains to life and godliness, he has already supplied our needs, friend. Already supplied our needs. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We'll close with this here. Peter says, what drew us to God was his glory and his excellence. His excellence. There was something about him that was just like no one else. And I'll tell you, it happened early on for Peter. Now, I know he was a mess. I got that. But do you remember early on, they had fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus said, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they did. And man, about broke the net. You remember Peter's reaction? He fell down and said, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. That's Peter understanding. You're not like other people, are you, God? You are way too awesome for me. You're way too awesome. You are not just God. I can tell you, and boy, what a great place to close this morning. When you see, when people see the awesomeness of God, when, when we see the glory and excellency of God, that's when disciples drop their nets on the beach, leave their ships behind, and walk away from family and friends and follow him for the rest of their life. That's when centurions ask him to heal their servants. And when Jesus says, okay, I'll come and heal him. Centurions, when, when they see this, this was a Roman, wasn't a Jew. But he had seen something about Jesus, his excellency and his glory. He said, you don't have to come to my house. I'm not worthy. He said, you can just speak the word and he'll be healed. Because everybody else may have a lot of doubts about who you are. But I think I figured it out. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ was not some hippie social justice warrior. He was God. He was God. Blind people will walk up to him and ask him for their sight. Women crawl through crowds to just touch the edge of his garment so that they can be healed from a 12-year-long ailment of bleeding. Demons cry out for mercy. Friends tear roofs off to let somebody down so he can heal them. Lepers just walk right up to him and say, you could heal me if you want to. And it even says that the rocks, if somebody don't praise him, when his excellency and his glory is being manifested, Jesus said, if somebody doesn't praise me, the rocks will have to cry out. Man, when you finally see who he really is, man, we won't have to beg you to come to church. We won't have to put a Starbucks in the vestibule. Promise hot bagels. Hey, and I'm not against, well, I don't like Starbucks, but I'm not against the bagels. When we really see who he is, it'll help us. I can tell you, we got to be ready for the long haul, Christians. It's not going to be easy. I don't know how much longer he'll tarry his coming. Sometimes I think we feel like, and I think I said this last week, that 
Boy, it's just been so long. Well, not really. We've only lived after Christ about the same amount of years that Abraham lived before Christ. We've not even lived as long after Christ as the flood occurred. So many other things, the Tower of Babel, and so many other things that happened. We've not been here that long. One of these days, though, just like he did the first time, he's coming back. But till then, you and I need to realize we're in a war. And let's don't fight people. Satan loves that. He loves that. We're fighting against ideas. We're we're fighting against attacks on God's design. We're, 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 We're fighting against principalities and powers that once in a while, boy, when they are allowed to, they just belt that sulfurous, hellish influence into our world. And we are amazed at the level of wickedness that follows. We're in a war. We can try to stay out of it, but it'll come to us. And we got to try to love people and care about them and make sure they know Jesus loves them and cares about them. But if you and I embrace their ideas and fail to take captive their thoughts and to stand for the truth, then we've already lost. We've already lost. Our Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that we felt your presence here today. Lord, we so desperately needed it. I pray, God, that you'd be with everyone that's here. You know their needs, God. You know there's some that are like me. They're prone to discouragement. They're prone to worry. They're prone to fears. It's not always rational, but it's always real. I pray, God, that you help us. I pray when Satan attacks. and God, we don't understand a lot about how all of that works, but we do know he's very real. We know he is your enemy. And we know he hates, you, hates us because you love us. I pray, God, you help us. Help us at Cornerstone fellowship to allow you to equip us for the long haul the battle that lies ahead help us Lord to equip the next generation the youth that are sitting here and the children God in children's church this morning I pray God that we would recommit ourselves to teach them apologetics to teach them how to defend the faith Lord, to help them to grow into mature saints. Lord, I pray you'd help us with that. Thank you for being with us today, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.